So last week was the Sunday after Ascension, which recalled that day when Jesus was taken from our sight by that cloud, we talked about last week, into heaven. And again, heaven is not some faraway place beyond the blue. Heaven is another dimension that's all around us, just unseen, just a prayer away. And one day the veil will be removed, but right now there's a veil between heaven and earth. Jesus went there, though, to be with the Father and to rule with him, but in our flesh. Not the same as when he left the Father's throne, but now he's in our flesh, in our humanity that he took through cross and resurrection to be there at the right hand of the Father. And just as his humanity has been welcomed there, it was so ours would be too. The whole of us, all of us, is welcome there. Today is about what did Jesus do when he got there? What, he did, what did he do to make our relationship more intimate than ever? What did he do to empower us to live for him and with him and like him? on the earth, as it is with him in heaven. So whenever I pray, our Father in heaven, I'm always thinking about who Jesus is in his new humanity. May it be on the earth, as it is in heaven, the Father's right hand. Today is the day of Pentecost, and it marks 50 days since the day of Easter. 50 days we've been feasting through greater Boston. We were at uh, Sally Jackson's last night. It was so fun. But today is a, is a day we focus on Pentecost. It's the last day of Eastertide. And it's the day we celebrate when the Holy Spirit, of course, was poured out on the early disciples. When together the Father and the Son poured him out. Or more specifically, when the Holy Spirit came from the Father through Jesus, radiating Jesus to the earth sharing the lordship of Jesus, the new redemption of Jesus, the new humanity of Jesus with us on the earth. That's why the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out until the ascension. And the Spirit was poured out on these disciples who had heard about this promise of the Holy Spirit and who believed it, who were waiting there in one place, we heard, waiting for this promise until they received it. And when they received the Spirit, they received power from the Spirit. New abilities, new energies, new vitality. Not to be a superhero, but to be a servant. To be humble. To love Jesus. To love like Jesus. To love across ethnicities, across cultural boundaries. To love the neglected, the vulnerable. That requires power. That doesn't just happen in history. That requires the almighty power of God through the Holy Spirit working in human beings. This is the day we remember that. And we remember it not just to be nostalgic, not just to remember the good old days, 
but to be witnesses ourselves of that lordship, of that redemption, of that new humanity. To be witnesses in our own day in Boston, in greater Boston, and beyond. Our second reading came from Paul's letter to the Roman church. And if you remember way back when we were in Romans chapter 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of God, the good news of who Jesus is, the good news of what God has done in Jesus for us and to us. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power, God's almighty power for salvation, for liberation for life, for all who believe it, who hear it and trust it. And there's that word power again. It's not different than the power from the Holy Spirit in the books of Acts, in the book of Acts. It's the same power to be a witness. Paul is focusing on how it saves us, how it liberates us for life, and in that makes us witnesses of Christ and his redemption. At the beginning of uh, Romans chapter 8, which is what we're going to look at for the rest of the sermon, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. If you have your Bible, you can open it. I'm going to go verse by verse through this section. Paul highlights this crucial connection between the Holy Spirit and life. He says the Holy Spirit here, he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of life in this section. He says the mind that's set on the Spirit or the mind of the Spirit is life. Because the Spirit gives us life. He gives us the breath of life in creation. He gives us resurrection life. He's the one who gives us eternal life, the life of eternity. In this section, Paul, he's talking about just issues of life and death. There's a sentence uh, attributed to Cormac McCarthy, and it regards the themes of, of fictional writing. And it's this, if it doesn't concern life and death, it's not interesting. It's not worth reading, according to Cormac McCarthy. And having read a bunch of his books, I would say by this standard, he's kept it interesting, <laughs> especially on the death side of things, if you read his books. But even more than McCarthy, Paul's letters have kept it interesting, if we use this standard. And more than that, they are revealing, they are transforming for people, especially in this section. So Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a big deal. Paul has spent many chapters in the early part of Romans talking about how everyone, Jew and Gentile, each and every person is condemned, so to speak, under the verdict of guilty before God without excuse. Every person is under that verdict. Every person is under the power of sin to some degree. Every person is experiencing the consequences of sin, namely death. 
physical death, but also relational death, disintegration in our lives. We all know that to some degree. And Paul is here saying there is a place, though, where that charge of condemnation no longer exists. It's not there. And that place, of course, is in Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, in that place, in that person. Now, for those of us who've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and we know our real guilt before God that is without excuse, that is good news when you hear that. And of course, this is just the flip side of being justified, right? That Paul's been talking about a lot up to this point. Being declared righteous by God. To be declared righteous in Christ means there is no condemnation in Christ. Sometimes, though, we just need to hear the same truth, the gospel truth, in a different way so that it can get into our hearts. Some phrases don't do that for us. Other ones do. That's why I think poetry is so helpful. Catches us off guard to bring in the truth of God into our our lives. So Paul goes on and he starts to tell us, he really goes on for a long time as to why now there is no condemnation in Christ. What does that mean? The rest spells that out. So this is like, that first verse is like a little bud and the rest is like a flower opening up. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit is most likely the way of the new covenant here. The promise that the Holy Spirit would write the law of God on our very hearts. How the Holy Spirit would give us a heart of flesh, replacing that heart of stone that is cold and hard towards God makes us sensitive to God, attentive to God. So what happened in the Old Testament, this was promised in the Old Testament, this new covenant, this new way, and the New Testament writers are saying it has now arrived in Jesus through the Spirit. That's exactly what's happened. The law of the spirit of life, though, Paul says, has set us free now from the law of sin and, sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Well, Paul doesn't go and explain that, but most likely in context, it's actually the law of Moses, most likely. Because the law brings forth, brings to light that sinful disposition in us when we encounter the law. It even, as we read or heard a few weeks ago, it entices that sinful reactance in us that we talked about. And then it reveals that and it judges that and condemns that. And so in that, it becomes a law of sin and death to us. It doesn't liberate us. This is not to say the law of Moses is bad, and Paul makes that point in chapter 7, the, gift, the, the law is the gift of God to the people of God. It helps us know where we're dirty, but it doesn't clean us. Ultimately, it points us to Christ. But because of that, that sinful disposition in us, 
it becomes a law of sin and death to us that we need to be freed from. And that's exactly what the law of the Spirit of Christ does for us. Paul goes on, for, what, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that sinful orientation, God has done what the law could not do. Coming back to that Romans chapter 7 question, who will save me from this body of death that's oriented to sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. God has done what the law couldn't do for us. And then he goes on to explain what? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus became one of us in the likeness of sinful flesh without ever succumbing to sin And then, of course, on the cross, God condemned sin in the flesh of Christ so that in him we would no longer be condemned, so that there is no longer condemnation for those in Christ. There's a technique in forest firefighting that's called backburning. And what that is, it's called backburning because you ignite these little fires over here to burn towards the oncoming wildfire, the front line of it. It's the idea is you you fight fire with fire. That's where the expression comes from. And the goal is to get is to burn enough of an area so that when that fire comes to that burnt up area, it has no fuel to spread. Because you can't burn something that's already been burnt. Well, In the gospel, Christ is our backburning, so to speak. The New Testament tells us, and this isn't pleasant for us to hear, but it is part of the witness of the New Testament that the wrath of God is coming. But the New Testament also says the wrath, the fire of God's wrath has already burned on Christ, never to burn there again, so that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But this isn't just to leave us in an empty negative space. So Paul goes on. This was done so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you could see the just requirements of the law being fulfilled in two ways. One way we just heard about how God condemned sin in Christ on the cross. You could see that as being a fulfillment of the law. But I think the bigger emphasis, what Paul is really getting at here, is that we would actually live out the law in its fulfillment. The righteousness that the the law of God was calling forth, was pointing us to, that is fulfilled in the Sermon on the Mount, in the life of Christ, that's what the Holy Spirit comes in to make us, enable us to do finally. The law of Moses could never do that. As this pithy summary attributed to John Bunyan puts it, run, John, run, the law commands, 
but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. That's the new covenant. We get the Holy Spirit within us. That's a whole other situation. The Holy Spirit comes, and we're not just told, love God and love your neighbor and good luck. The Holy Spirit comes in and is poured, pouring the love of God into our hearts so that we then can in turn have that love to pour out back to God and to each other. So we always got to be asking ourselves, how is the love of God coming into my life through the Holy Spirit, and how is it going back out to God and to my neighbors? Paul goes on. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For Paul, the, the, the flesh is a negative term. And don't think of it just as that physical part of us that Paul is down on. The Bible thinks the body is a good thing. It's broken, but it was made by God. It's something that should be healed. It's something that God is going to resurrect one day. It's not something to discard. It's not a negative thing in itself. It's just broken. It's a body of death right now. But the flesh is more about, that stands for what is corrupt in us, what is rebellious in us. It stands for not God-centeredness, but self-centeredness. That's what flesh is about. Flesh is about living without the inspiration and the guidance and the grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just doing it on our own, in our own wisdom, our own strength. That's the flesh. And Paul says to set the mind on the flesh is death. Again, not just physical death, but relational death. When you're self-centered instead of God-centered and other-focused, your relationships start to die. They fall apart. They get corroded. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The life leads you to become God-centered, other-focused. The Holy Spirit leads you into the righteousness of the law. The righteousness of the law is basically right-relatedness. If you look at the commandments of the Bible, you'll see that pretty much all of them are about being rightly related to either God, to each other, rightly related to yourself, or to the created order. That's what the laws are about, right-relatedness. And when you are rightly related in all those areas, you have life. You have peace. Shalom, the way things are supposed to be. That's what the Holy Spirit leads us into. And next week, we're going to look at the Holy Trinity. It's Trinity Sunday next week, and we're going to see how this has its basis in the triune life of God. Relational life has been existing forever in God Himself. And that's what we participate in when we participate in righteousness. We're participating in what was and is and will be forever. Coming back again to Christ as our backburn, so to speak, we can imagine how from that burnt ground the new resurrection life 
comes forth. In our psalm, we heard, I love this verse in our psalm, when God, you send forth your spirit, your breath, you renew the face of the earth. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. He created the earth with the the Father and the Son, and in the resurrection, he brings the new creation life too. So from the soil of that no condemnation, the Spirit brings forth new resurrection life. So I love how we've had our cross up adorned with flowers through Eastertide. That's the image you need to see and imagine. More than that, we need lives filled with the Holy Spirit. For this reason, Paul says, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. That's what the flesh is. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is not what God created and redeemed us to be like. The answer is not just try a little harder in your current mindset. The call is get a whole new mindset. The mindset of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with his mindset. Paul says, you are not, though, in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Belonging to the Spirit, belonging to Christ, is more than just being able to say the right things about the Spirit in Christ. It is about being indwelt, filled with, animated with, guided by the Holy Spirit. But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of that right relatedness. Notice, though, here that to be in the spirit and in Christ also means for the spirit to dwell in us and for Christ to dwell in us. This is a mutual indwelling. And I think for secular modern people, this is a weird thing. This is a hard thing to imagine. This might even sound superstitious. And if there's anything secular modern people are afraid of, it's afraid of being suspicious. We're very embarrassed if we think somebody thinks we're suspicious. But if that keeps us from this mutual indwelling, that is a great, great loss. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit. If the Holy Spirit is working in you and guiding you and filling your imagination, giving you a new mindset, you can be assured that one day the Holy Spirit is going to raise your body from the dead clothe you with your new home and the new creation. But in the meantime, he gives a foretaste of that resurrection life. In the meantime, he awakens our very senses to God and to our neighbor in need. And he enables us to respond in love in these mortal bodies 
through these mortal bodies. That is power. That is life. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives us. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.